Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Prologues, you guys. My name is Mary, if you're new, and if you're not new, I'm glad you're here again. I am currently laying completely horizontal on my bed. I just came out of the shower. I'm back in my pajamas. It is, by the way, it's like 12.02 p.m. on a Sunday. I had a killer workout this morning. I had a really long one. I was listening to an audiobook instead of music, and I felt like because I was so wrapped up in the story, I just was staying at the gym for so long working out. So my muscles are exhausted. My brain is exhausted, and that's why I'm recording this literally laying flat in bed. My laptop is perched up on my chest. I'm holding this microphone like it's a baby. No thoughts behind my eyes right now. No thoughts in this head of mine. We are just... Vibing, we are going to talk shit and catch up today. I have had so many different things I've wanted to talk to you guys about, and I've been trying to narrow down this list of topic ideas that I have in my head. I have like literally 30 episode ideas that eventually we're all going to get to. But because my brain has just been not working, like fully not working, for honestly well over a week at this point, We're not going to talk about any of them because I don't think I can do any of them justice. So instead, we're going to talk shit, catch up. This is my current state of the union. This is just a chatty little chat because honestly, we are halfway through the year at this point and I'm crashing, not in terms of like mental health, but in terms of my energy, I'm just in a crash right now. I have been going, 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 going. Honestly, this entire year, I was talking to a friend of mine this past week and I was saying every week, I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. It's like a busy week. There's just a lot going on right now. But I think I've said that every single week since the start of this year, which is not a bad thing. I'm not complaining about it because I'm busy doing things that are either building something good for my future or I'm busy working on myself or my business, my career or I'm setting the stage for good things that will come. So it's not like I'm busy and it's all stuff that I hate. I'm just busy and energetically, I have none. I don't know if that sentence made sense. I just don't have any energy right now. But that being said, I still wanna talk to you guys and I want to just, let's just catch up, let's just vibe. Let's just all enter into a liminal state together float around in the ether and just talk about what we're observing in life right now. That's how I feel right now. Sometimes when I'm just feeling a little bit burnt out, I don't feel like I'm actually experiencing my life. I feel like I am a third-party observer watching another entity go through my day-to-day. And I'm not saying that in like a, I don't know, like a dissociative, I guess it is kind of dissociation, but it's not like a sad thing. It's literally just, I am on autopilot right now and I'm just making observations. I'm just this little tiny soul slash spirit, whatever you believe in. I believe in souls and spirits. I'm just this little like sixth dimensional, what exists in the sixth dimension? I don't even know what I'm talking about. The core of me is existing on another plane and I am just watching what's going by. I am observing actions happening in my life as though I'm watching like a ship sail across the harbor. That's how I feel right now. So let's just do this. So I'll give you my little life updates first. I came back from the beach on Wednesday. I told you guys, Matt and I took a little mini moon down to Boca Raton. It was very beautiful. It was insanely hot. I don't know if you guys caught up with the news this past week, but 
Basically, the Earth's global temperature broke records for like hottest days ever recorded multiple days in a row last week. And that's when I was down in Florida. There was one day where the heat index on the beach reached 120 degrees. And listen, if it's going to be that hot, like at least you're by the beach, right? I mean, I don't really mind so much about how hot it is when I'm by a body of water. But it was it was crazy to experience. Matt and I didn't even really drink water the entire trip because we had to consume electrolyte drinks so constantly in order to not feel like death. Like even just drinking water, like you couldn't just drink plain water. It was so hot and you were sweating so much that we were just like chugging Gatorade and liquid IV and Element the whole time just to try to keep away like the headaches and the muscle fatigue and everything. But all of that aside, it was the most beautiful time. We spent 99% of it just laying on the beach, reading our books, playing in the water. The resort also had a pool. We stayed at the Boca Raton in Boca Raton, Florida. And it was a beautiful resort. It had this beautiful pool. Matt is into reading this year for the first time ever. So he was actually able to sit out by the pool or by the beach for seven, eight hours at a time, which was perfect. In years past, he has gotten antsy and he's needed to be entertained. So he's had to kind of go run around the beach and like look for people to play frisbee with and build sandcastles and just get his like, it, like his zoomies out. He's gotten the zoomies. My husband has the zoomies, but this year he is really into reading and so we were just able to chill and do nothing and read our own books and not even talk to each other except every hour to look up and be like, wow, it's hot, let's get back in the water. When it comes to Matt and his reading, this is a little inside joke that I have with the girls that follow my Snapchat story. We have been laughing about the fact that men seem to love Brandon Sanderson, who is a fantasy author. And I discovered this very accidentally because I posted a picture of Matt reading a Brandon Sanderson novel. And so many women DM me to say my brother, my husband, my boyfriend, my father, my cousin, my uncle, my friend, all these men in their lives are obsessed with Brandon Sanderson. And what was so funny is like maybe two girls DM to say, oh, I like Brandon Sanderson. And then well over like hundreds, hundreds of girls were like, oh, this man in my life loves Brandon Sanderson. So I just talked to, I was just posting that on my story. I was like, this is kind of funny. Like, do men just love Brandon Sanderson? I don't know. And then the stories just kept rolling and rolling and rolling in. And now it's like a little running joke that just, I haven't even read Brandon Sanderson. So I honestly don't know what the appeal is. I did ask the girls. I was like, does anyone actually know why this seems to be a fantasy series or a fantasy author that men just really, really like? I got a couple of different answers back. A lot of people said, who have read him themselves, said that his world building is really good. It's very immersive. And then some people said it's fantasy that doesn't have a ton of romance and it's like very action heavy. I don't know. I don't want to like go into gendered reading stereotypes because I don't even know what those would be. But all I know is it seems like a lot of the men who are in the lives of the women who follow me love Brandon Sanderson and it makes me laugh because my husband does too. If you're looking, if you are looking for a book to give to your male partner or whoever in your life because they want to get into reading, try Brandon Sanderson. I don't know what it is. I feel like I need to read him myself before recommending him, but all I can tell you is that he seems to be a big hit. Anyway, while we were in Florida, we did do a couple of little excursions, a couple things. The biggest one was that we went snorkeling, which was the number one thing I wanted to do when we went down there. My parents went snorkeling in the Keys last year. My parents are just living their best lives right now and they deserve it like my parents sacrificed everything for 
like, what is, how many years? 35, 38 years to raise their children. And now all the kids are out of the house and my parents are both retired and they are just truly becoming little like cross country travelers. They camp, they hike, they love backpacking. And anyway, last year they went down, they snorkeled in Florida and their videos were incredible. So I really wanted to go. I've never really experienced water that's crystal clear or anything. So Matt and I were able to book this excursion. It's like snorkel and sail. So we got on this catamaran and we went on this little sailing trip all around the coast. And then there was this point where they anchored and you could just jump off the side of the boat into like deep ocean waters, not anything crazy, but like, you know, 12, 15 feet deep. And it was so clear. And then you could just paddle around and snorkel. And it was so much fun for a couple of different reasons. One, sailing, that's just fun. Two, the wind when you're sailing feels amazing on a 100 degree day. And then three, I've never swam in deep ocean water. I've only ever swum, swum, swam, God, I don't even know anymore. I've only ever done that, like just off the coastline. So jumping off of this big boat into deep water was just I don't know I really enjoyed that and then I put on my little snorkel mask and I was just I was just like dog paddling all around I was just floating face down in the water with my arms and legs spread out like a starfish I didn't even put on flippers which I probably should have but I was just floating watching all the little fish go by me and it felt so meditative it felt like the only thing in the entire universe that existed in that moment was me and these little fish and I just felt like I became one of the fish and as I'm saying it out loud it sounds like I had taken something before this trip I didn't but it was a similar feeling as to when you have like had a little gummy a little puff on a pen and then you just feel like intimately connected to the inner workings of the universe you know what I'm talking about that happens to me every time but I experienced it in that moment while completely sober just in the cool water, sun on my back. All I could really hear was my heavy breathing through the snorkel tube. I'm like talking with my hands so much right now and I don't know why because you guys can't even see me. But I'm pantomiming putting on a snorkel mask and I could hear my heavy breathing like and then I could hear like the water flapping around my ears. My ears were like sometimes submerged, sometimes not submerged. And then that's it. That's all I could hear. And I'm just looking at these schools of fish, all different types of fish, just swimming only a couple of feet underneath of me. And they didn't seem too bothered by my presence. I don't know if they just accepted me as one of their own or if they could just immediately tell that I posed no threat whatsoever. But I was just observing them and I felt like the water, you know, the ocean currents were sort of moving me and the school of fish at the same time. It was a crazy experience. It felt so transcendent. I felt very calm, very in tune with myself and with Earth Mother. I absolutely loved it. I highly, highly, highly recommend, especially if you are more into nature woo-woo like myself. It was such a cool experience. The only thing was, because I got so sucked into it, I didn't realize, one, how long I had been doing it, and two, that I was drifting pretty far away from the boat. And eventually, I don't even know how long I was down there, but eventually when I came back up, I was really far away from the boat which didn't worry me at all because I'm a very strong swimmer. I actually did competitive swim when I was younger in my community, but still, I mean, strong swimmer or not, the ocean is unpredictable and you can never ever be too careful. It ended up being totally fine, but my only, only, only regret is that I probably should have been more situationally aware at that time, 
But because I wasn't situationally aware, I was able to lose myself in the flow of the ocean. So pros and cons there. I'm okay with how it ended up because obviously I was fine. Aside from the snorkeling, honestly, that was the big highlight of the trip. I'd love to do it again. I'd love to do it in the Keys. But other than that, it was just nice to be near palm trees in a totally different part of the U.S. that neither Matt nor I had ever gone to before. And it was a great time. And then other than that, it was just nice to spend so much alone time together. I feel like I've said this every single week, but Matt had to leave the day after our wedding to go to Dallas to play for the rugby season. So it was just amazing to finally have real quality time together and just reconnect and kind of realign with each other and talk about all of the absolute insanity that is coming up next in our lives. Because like I said, I feel like my life has been go, 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 go ever since the start of the year, but there's no signs of it slowing down anytime soon, which is fine. No complaints, all good things. But It just felt nice to center ourselves before diving into all of that. So one of y'all had the great idea to call my weekly favorite section the culture club, like my culture club, because I was talking about how it's not quite a book club because I do mention other things, but I do talk about books. So, you know, what do we do? And someone said, call it the culture club. So that's what we're doing. Welcome to the first-ish It's actually the 11th installment, but the first named installment of the Weekly Culture Club. So while I was in down in Florida, I read two books. The first one, oh God, I have to sit up in bed to go get it. The first book is called The McMaster's Guide to Homicide, Murder Your Employer by Rupert Holmes. So bear with me here. We were down in Florida and I finished, ah, what book did I finish? I think I finished, I can't even remember what books I've already told you guys about. Okay, I literally just had to stop recording for a second and go listen to the intro of last week's episode so I could remember whether or not I've told you about this book yet. I don't think I have. Now I'm out of order in the way that I read these books, but whatever. So The Murder Your Employer. I had finished my book that I had brought to the beach. That one is called The Fairy Bargains of Prospect Hill, and I'll get to it in a second. I had finished that book, and we still had two days left on vacation, so I knew I needed a new one. So Matt and I went to a bookstore, we went to this Barnes & Noble in Boca Raton, and when I walked in, there was this sign, like this little display shelf with a sign on it that said, books to read while you're waiting for the next installment in the Thursday Murder Club series, which comes out in September, by the way. And it was like they knew I was coming. I haven't talked about these books on the podcast yet because I read them over the winter, But the Thursday Murder Club series is one of my all-time favorite book series ever. Like, ever. It's it's a series about these retirees in this luxury assisted living community in England. And there's four main characters. And they have wildly different backstories and really interesting lives. And they use their life experience to... They band together and they solve murder cases, basically. The books are hilarious. They are exactly my sense of humor. It's like dry British humor, but so cheeky, so tongue in cheek. And I just think they're so funny and yet very heartwarming. They're easy to read, but they're not total like fluff. They do have some substance, but they are so easy to read and easy to get through. And I just love the series. So when I saw that sign, I was like, this person who made this sign, they understand me. I feel so seen fundamentally understood in that moment. And I I pawed through all the books and this is the one I picked out. So 
Murder Your Employer. I really enjoyed it. First of all, if you like Thursday Murder Club, you will love this book. It's the exact same vibe, energy, sense of humor, but with a different enough plot that I do think it's worth reading. It's not like it's the same plot and you'll just be reading the same book over and over again. It is different enough. And it's basically about a higher education school dedicated to teaching students how to commit murder. And they say it's only like murder for good reasons or whatever, but it's set in the 50s. It is delightful. I love books that are dry and matter of fact when discussing something crazy like murder like homicide books that just treat it as if they're teaching students how to tie knots or something it's so funny i read it in the course of a day because it was just so funny and it was a perfect poolside summer read it's about this guy actually it's about three main characters they are both narrating their own experiences and there is also this third party who's compiling them so in some sections it is uh, told through epistles, an epistolary novel. It's these people who all have very individual reasons for why they want to murder their boss, and the book follows their journeys. Despite the subject matter, it's not scary, it's not worrisome, you're not gonna like lie awake at night and worry about what's gonna happen to the characters at all. It's just lighthearted and, and easy to read. And I personally am a huge fan of epistolary novels. I think that they they're so refreshing and also they make you think a lot harder because you have to consider about, you have to consider is your narrator reliable or, or are they not? And usually they're not because if someone's detailing through letters or through journal entries or something, their own story, of course it's gonna be unreliable. And I just love that. I love when you can't really trust the person writing the book that you're reading. I love when you have to think outside of the box to put pieces together. And I just love this book. Again, I would classify this as a poolside read, but it was super enjoyable, so who cares? The next book, which is the book I should have told you first, is called The Fairy Bargains of Prospect Hill. The Fairy Bargains of Prospect Hill is set in the early 1900s, right around the turn of the century. And it's about these two sisters who have chosen very different paths in life, and they're grappling with the increasingly industrializing world around them. They live in the United States. And then they also are balancing that with their family's very deep and time-honored connection to folk magic, folk tradition, the lore of the area they live in. They live in an area with just magic running deep through the earth. And the sisters come from this huge orchard, so there's connection to nature in that way too. So one of the sisters chooses the path of being more connected to the orchard she takes on some of the business aspects of it and the other one marries out of the family and moves away and wants to become more of a society woman but their journey is pretty complicated and they they are brought together and brought apart and it's it's very really interesting there's a heavy suffrage influence uh that's happening in the early 1900s and so it's right around the time when the suffragette movement was starting in britain and that shows up in the book constantly because these are both very i mean they're just um, they're not even particularly like strong-willed women they're just women like women are strong-willed women are capable and are ambitious and can do incredible things so it's not even that these two women are like remarkably so they're just women fighting to be taken seriously and to be heard, to be understood, to be valued, to be recognized for their meaningful work and meaningful contributions, to be seen as intelligent and talented. I feel like sometimes in books with themes of 
like women's empowerment, the author feels the need to make the female main character this like insanely extraordinary person so that the reader feels more inclined to empathize and to also root for women's empowerment. But I like this book because these women, I mean, they're incredible, but they're also everyday people. You know what I mean? They're not like going out and saving the entire world or masters of a certain skill or I don't know. Like, you, do you know the energy that I'm talking about sometimes with female main characters? It's like people are afraid of just writing a woman doing her thing because they, that won't be seen as powerful enough. And I feel like in this book, these women are incredible in the way that every woman is. Does that make sense? It's kind of, it reminds me of that scene in Pride and Prejudice where Elizabeth and Caroline Bingley are taking a turn around the drawing room and Mr. Darcy is writing letters and then they start talking about women's accomplishments. And Caroline is talking about all the things a woman must do to be accomplished. And this is tying into accomplishments education uh, in the Regency era. And so she's saying, you know, women have to paint tables and they must sing and they need to know foreign languages and they need to dance and they need to know how to embroider and penmanship and all of these things. Mr. Darcy's kind of a green. And Elizabeth is like, I've never heard of a woman like that. And Mr. Darcy takes that as her criticizing her own sex. But what she's really saying is, you think a woman can only be accomplished if she paints tables and sings and dances and can speak French. Like your criteria for what makes a woman incredible, what makes her accomplished are just so whack, basically. I don't know if Jane Austen would have said it like that, but basically it's so whack. And that's how I feel about different types of books as well. So I like that in Fairy Bargains of Prospect Hill, these women have very relatable motivations and journeys and struggles. And they are dealing with barbaric insufferable men obviously but it's a struggle that feels relatable anyway in this book they are trying to come to terms with the world becoming more modern around them but their connection to the folkloric side of their upbringing still being very strong and very present i really liked it i think i gave it like a three and a half out of five stars i didn't find it to be incredibly deeply moving but it was engaging so I did like it. And then the last book I read while at the beach was called If We Were Villains. And this one is by M.L. Rio. So If We Were Villains, I was, I didn't really know what to expect when I went into that book because so many people DM'd me saying it was their favorite book ever. And so I just didn't really know what it was going to be like. This one is in the 90s and it's about a uh, performing arts college. It's very dark academia. Of course, the students are incredibly pretentious and privileged. It has, you'll, you'll know the vibe that I'm talking about. It has that like death at a boarding school and homoerotic relationships between uh, roommates and very deep connection to the arts. These in particular are acting students and they only appear in Shakespeare plays. So they, half the time they're conversing in lines from Shakespeare plays instead of just speaking their normal dialogue. This isn't a spoiler at all because it's extremely obvious from the first two pages what happens in the book. But yeah, there's a death at the school and students are grappling with it. They're having a hard time with it and they are also learning difficult lessons about themselves and the world around them. It's told in a series of flashbacks. So there's a character in the present who's remembering things that happened while he was at this school. And it's really not hard to piece together 
what's going on. My com major complaint about this book is that I feel like it was predictable. I felt like the plot lacked a lot of originality. I felt like I was reading something that I had read before. Just because I feel like that whole dark academia boarding school, a student dies thing is something that um, we've seen so many times. But I have to give the book praise because I thought it was so engaging. I thought it was vivid and very moving. And even though I did know it was coming, it still emotionally hit me. Personally, I like Shakespeare. I had to read a lot of Shakespeare as an English major in college. And so I enjoyed it and I enjoyed the book because of those elements. I also really enjoy this running theme throughout the book where the students are always pondering the role that they have been cast to play by life itself. Like a lot of these students are kind of typecast in the plays every year and they're always, they always find themselves playing a certain type of character and that also translates into their real life. They feel like life has cast them in a certain role and they don't know how to get out of it. And I really enjoyed that type of discussion in the book because it's something I felt in my own life, it's hard to break out of a role that you feel like you were born and destined to play, and yet sometimes you all that's all you want to do. Kind of predictable, but I did enjoy it. Next up in Culture Club, even though this is probably going to take half the episode at this point, we've been watching Ozark, and I have not really been loving it lately. We're in season four now, but we watched season three last week. And in season three, I won't say too much, but there's they bring a bipolar character on and they make that bipolar character every single stereotype in the book. And I really didn't enjoy watching the show last season because of that. I felt like it was poorly done. Uh, I don't have a problem with severe depictions of mental illness or bi especially bipolar disorder because sometimes you live a severe experience. Like, I don't have a problem with a character doing something intense because of their mental illness. What I have a problem with is movies and TV shows that don't treat those characters with compassion and don't give them any humanity outside of their mental illness. And one thing I really felt last week while watching season three of Ozark was that they brought this character on and they gave him bipolar disorder because they needed it for the plot, but they didn't give him any humanity outside of that. And you have no reason to root for this character or empathize with this character in the show because they gave him nothing redeemable, basically. They made him a giant nuisance to everyone. They focused on how much like other people in his life were inconvenienced by his bipolar disorder. And they just, yeah, they just didn't treat him with humanity at all. So not into that. And then the last favorite I'll say this week is Element. It's an electrolyte drink packet. And it's just basically magnesium sodium and potassium i'm only mentioning it because matt and i needed so many electrolytes last week because we were sweating so much and element is just currently my favorite electrolyte drink packet brand and i thought i'd mention okay that wraps up culture club and now we're just gonna keep gabbing we're just gonna keep chatting two big things happened this week in terms of pop culture one speak now taylor's version came out and two threads dropped Two big things that honestly really impacted my week last week. Like, severely impacted my week last week. Are you guys on threads? Let me know. I made my threads profile, I think, the day after it dropped. I was the 24th million person or so to do so because it grew so fast. But I was still on threads within like 12 or 15 hours of it coming out. So that's crazy. But basically, if you don't know yet, so threads is you know, Meta, as in the company that owns Instagram and Facebook, 
Threads is Meta's answer to the Twitter question. The Twitter question being, Twitter is a dumpster fire and a hellhole and no sane person is on there. And also, Elon Musk has ran it even further into the ground than anyone could have thought possible. So I guess Mark Zuckerberg saw that and was like, here's a golden opportunity, and he created threads. So the format and like the UX, the user experience, is incredibly similar to that of Twitter. There's It's missing a bunch of features, but also the app dropped like four days ago. So I'm sure different features are coming with updates. But it's basically a words sharing platform. You get to send threads. Although honestly, I feel like popular culture hasn't even decided what the terminology on threads is going to be. Like, do we call them threads? Threads being the same thing as a tweet. Like, you get to send threads. They're 500 characters or less. You respond to other people. It's a totally algorithm-based, like, homepage. At the moment, there isn't a tab where you can just see only people that you're following. But the interesting thing about threads and why I think this is a social media platform that's going to have a lot of longevity as opposed to something like Lemon 8, which had a big user boom when it first dropped, especially because it came out right around the time where Congress banning TikTok was on every single news streaming platform. Lemon 8 had this big user boom and then it really faded out. It didn't seem to grab hold or have any real traction. But I think Threads is going to have a lot of traction because it had a very, very seamless transition from your Instagram profile to creating a Threads account because it's owned by the same company. And when you open Threads on your phone, uh, the, like, the little logo that flashes in the middle of the screen even has the same colors as the Instagram app icon. This literally sounds like a Threads sponsorship. It's not. I'm just, we're talking shit right now. So when you make your Threads profile you basically import all of your Instagram data, like your your username, profile picture, bio, and you have the option to follow every person on threads that you follow on Instagram. Or you can opt out and you can follow people individually, which is what I did. But then you can also follow people even if they don't have a threads account. It's kind of like pre-ordering a follow in a way. And that way, when that person actually does make a threads account, you'll automatically follow them. And what all of that means is that it has been really easy for people to very seamlessly integrate their Instagram audience over onto threads, providing that their followers are actually making threads accounts. And also the app is so new and so everyone has a lot of high visibility. I think there's a couple reasons why threads is going to have some staying power. One, it was very, very easy to set up. You almost kind of have a following base built in, even if you're not a creator, even if you're just a casual consumer of social media, super easy to just already have your regular followers over there as well. Second is that people really did want an answer to the Twitter question. I mean, Twitter has been insufferable for years and Twitter built such a specific culture within itself. And it's the same kind of culture that I see being built on TikTok right now, which is another reason why I'm happy that I'm not on there full time anymore. Twitter culture is so highly divisive, reactionary, black and white. People take personal offense to literally everything. It's the same kind of thing with TikTok. Like you have to make 20 disclaimers about what you're about to say before you say it because People will twist your words. They will make things about them that have nothing to do with them. They will be angry when they can't relate to every single thing you're saying. Like the concept of take what resonate and leaves what doesn't 
doesn't really exist on TikTok and it hasn't existed on Twitter in a long time either. And a lot of people are just tired of that. Like no one wants to wake up and be angry all the time every single day. I mean, I guess some people do because those are the people that are keeping these apps alive. But like a lot of us just don't want that anymore. And the culture on threads so far has been calm. It's less than a week old, so we don't really know how it's going to develop in the future. But the general consensus that I keep seeing on my like purely algorithm based homepage is that a lot of people just wanted a fresh start. They want to be able to connect with their community and connect with their friends but they just want to leave all that toxicity behind and they just want to act like normal, sane humans. Now, do I think that's going to last for a long time? No, no, I don't. Because no matter what intentions you have when using social media, social media in and of itself is something that can become twisted and toxic so fast. So I don't really believe that long-term Threads is going to remain this like wholesome place, but I have hopes that it does. Because I've seen so many people express something that I also feel, which is just like, we're fucking exhausted of everything having to be an issue all of the time. And like, it makes you afraid to say anything. It makes you afraid to ever speak what's on your mind or share how you feel or be vulnerable because you have to self-censor and be so careful so that people don't maliciously and intentionally twist your words and misunderstand you. And again, this isn't just speaking as a creator. This is something that even casual, like casual users of social media report feeling as well. And so far, the culture on threads seems to be very, very different. So I have hopes for it. I do think there are probably a lot of things hidden in those terms and conditions that I'll be honest, I didn't read before signing up. Hopefully someone has and they can tell us what we just signed our lives away to because let's not make a mistake and act like meta is this great place. It isn't. Meta is also very problematic as a tech giant, as a social media giant. But in the very short term, Threads has felt like a fun place. And even just speaking as like a user of the app, it's been fun. I've just been, I mean, I don't have like a social media strategy. I'm not trying to optimize my growth or get followers. I don't want a content strategy. I've just been having a good time chatting to you guys, kind of like how I do on Snapchat, just very in the moment, very casual. We're just... We're literally just talking to each other like normal fucking human beings. And it has felt really, really nice. Second big thing that happened that impacted my week, obviously, Speak Now Taylor's version came out. Oh my god, you guys. Let me just say this. This will summarize how I feel about the entire thing. So the morning after it came out, the 7th, I decided that to really absorb the entire album, to really get the full effect, I was just going to go on a super long walk and listen to it because that's my favorite way to consume music. I feel like music just hits different and hits a deeper part of my soul when I listen to it as I'm on a walk because it's mindless and I can lose myself in the music, but I'm still moving and I feel like the music can move through me because I'm moving. Anyway, so I go on this walk. I get so hype so into this album, so freaking pumped. I literally crossed state lines. I walked from my home in Arlington, Virginia to Georgetown. And that might not make a lot of sense if you don't live in this area, but guys, miles, miles. I crossed into the District of Columbia, literally crossing state lines because I was so hype while listening to this album. I thought it was perfect. I thought it was incredible. 
I hate the lyric change in Better the Revenge. Obviously, I understand why she did it. She has the right to tell her story the way she wants to tell her story. I basically, there's a line in the original Better Than Revenge where it's a song about a girl uh, that quote unquote stole her boyfriend at the time. And listen, does it have misogynistic overtones? Yes, it does. I'm not saying it doesn't. But it slaps, like, but it hits so hard. Anyway, there's this line where she's like, she's better known for the things that she does on the mattress. Obviously implying that this girl, like, stole this boyfriend because she seduced him and, I don't know, sort of subtly and implicitly being like, she's a slut and that's why my boyfriend left me. Is that problematic? Of course. Like, yes, that's misogynistic. That's not the way, like, your boyfriend deserves all of your ire if he cheats on you and he leaves you, not the girl. And that's why I'm assuming Taylor changed the lyric to sort of reflect the growth that she's had in the time since. I mean, I think she wrote Speak Now when she was 19 or 20 and she's in her 30s now, so I get it. She told her story differently. But the new line is like, he was a, what is it? He was a moth to the flame. She was holding the matches, which is fine. But Better Than Revenge is a song that you sing while screaming and like, it's a girl rage song, you know? It's angry, it's sassy and spunky, and it's just like girl rage. And so then it's just hard to like rage yell, he was a moth to the flame, she was holding the matches. It's too poetic. It's too, it's, it's a pretty line. It's a beautiful line. I want the anger, the she's only known for the things that she does on the mattress. Like, fuck that bitch who does things on the mattress. But then again, like, that, we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be saying that. We shouldn't be feeling that way. If your boyfriend cheats on you or leaves you, it's his fault. But I have a problem with the lyric change because it just, I feel like it doesn't fit the energy of the song. But other than that, I love the re-record. I think it's so interesting to listen to the re-records because she's so far removed from the life space that she was in when she wrote these songs originally. And it's interesting to hear the maturity reflected in her voice. Because you, there is less anger. There is less pain and hurt as she's singing these songs. And in some sense, you know, maybe it takes away from the raw emotion of the song. But I kind of like it because I think it shows how much growth there is. How much growth there is still to be had for all of us. Like something can absolutely devastate you and ruin your whole life and completely break your heart into a million pieces when you're 20. But then when you're 32, like it's just not that deep anymore. And I find that to be very comforting. So I actually don't mind that aspect of the re-records. And then in terms of the vault tracks, they were hit or miss for me. I think I Can See You is so good. I Can See You is sassy and that bitch. And then I also loved Castles Crumbling, which features Haley Williams which is a slay duo. That's such a good pairing. But that's a really beautiful song too. I am still having an identity crisis over my short hair. I won't go too much in detail about it because I know you guys are probably sick of hearing it, but this haircut that I had recently where my hair ended up being so much shorter than I had wanted, I'm just, I'm still not over it. I'm still not okay. I have bought so many hair growth products. I've gotten the entire hair growth line from Bondi Boost. I'm taking supplements. I got the Vegamore Growth Serum. Basically, every hair growth product that you've heard an influencer talk about in the last six months or so, I have bought it with my own money. I'm testing them all out. I'm desperate for my hair to grow longer. I don't feel like myself. And I think it's such a Leo thing. 
because I feel like this might be a stereotype, but if you're a Leo and you agree, please let me know. Something about being a Leo, you attach to your hair. Your hair is such an integral part of your self-identity and your appearance. And I've seen like even just so many memes being like, you always know who's a Leo because you can tell by the hair. And I, I believe that. Every Leo I've ever known, their hair, it's a moment. Like their hair is part of them. And that's how I've always felt about mine. So to have short hair, I just don't even know what I'm doing with myself. I've been wearing it up constantly, like wearing it up almost every single day. And maybe I'm going to wear it up until it gets long enough to wear down comfortably again. I don't know. My husband just texted me that he's done with golf. He's wrapping up. He's going to come home soon. Ugh, literally stay there. Just kidding. Actually, I'm not just kidding, but I felt like I had to put that just kidding disclaimer in there in case anyone tried to take, I don't know, in case anyone tried to take that not as a joke. That is a joke, but I have to say this has been the first summer where I've really embraced the whole my husband golfs thing. One, I think it helps that we just came off of this period of long distance. So more so than ever before, I am totally, totally fine with being by myself for long periods of time, even on a weekend. And I think something that used to bother me about his golfing habits last year was I didn't mind if he was golfing on like a, a weekday or a weeknight or a Friday, even a Saturday, but like golfing on a Sunday, I just always think of Sundays as together days. And so I wouldn't mind as much golfing any other day of the week, but golfing on a Sunday, especially if he was going to be gone all day, just like, oh, like that's the day I want to spend together. But after spending so long apart with the long distance, I'm just, I just feel like so fine on my own now more than I ever have in my whole life. And so I really love the alone time, honestly. But not even just that, I've also been embracing becoming a golf wife because I've realized a couple of things. One, golf clothes are so cute. Two, driving a golf cart is so fun. And then three, you get to be with them. You still get to hang out with them and you're like being supportive of their hobbies and you're getting to kind of like just be around them. It's not quality time. You're just around them and they love that you're so supportive of their hobbies and they love that you're having fun together, but you're just chilling in the golf cart with a little beverage and a little book looking cute as fuck in your little golf dress. It's incredible. I have been practicing on the driving range and we've gone to Top Golf in this place called Rudy's in Alexandria, which is like a Top Golf. And I've been practicing my swing and we were golfing last night and I did hit a couple of balls and it, it, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't great, but like it wasn't awful. I do still think I need more time on the driving range before I actually graduate to playing golf with him. But for right now, I'm just enjoying being a passenger princess in the golf cart except i'm driving he's the passenger princess okay the last thing i want to talk about today before i sign off on this absolute shit show of an episode although to be honest i've had a really fun time filming it just laying in my bed with the microphone i feel like i'm on the phone with a girlfriend right now i feel like i'm in a 1950s cartoon and i'm like a teenager sitting with a corded phone on my bed like gossiping in a sleepover that's how i feel right now but the last thing I want to talk about is something that's a continuation of last week's episode, which was all about my frontal lobe developing and healing my inner child and being in a very different phase of life, like almost tangibly feeling my life shift into the next chapter. And I just wanted to take a second to acknowledge how difficult transition and change is. 
And I think that is a huge reason why I feel like I have tornado brain, why I feel so burnt out right now, because my energy is depleted because I'm physically doing a lot, but then also my mental energy, not my mental health or wellness, but my mental energy is low because coping with change is very hard for me. And I also am not good at crossing bridges when I get to them. I'm actually really bad at that. I am very good at seeing a bridge two or three miles off into the distance and immediately having a panic attack about what I'm going to do when I get there. And then by the time I do get to the bridge, everything is literally fine. But I've spent the last three miles losing my shit because I thought it wouldn't be fine. That's actually the type of person that I am. So I've been in a real spiral lately looking ahead to the future, seeing the changes that are going to happen at the end of this year and next year. A lot of those changes I'm going to wait to tell you guys about until they're more set in stone and they're a little bit closer. But yeah, part of the reason I'm so busy right now is because I am gearing up for these big changes. And it's something I'm really struggling with. Even if a change is good, I just have a hard time with it. I love routine. I'm a creature of habit. I love being, I don't know, I just like being at home doing my own thing getting into little grooves that make me feel safe and protected and that help me feel sane. I think when you have really severe mental health issues, when you're in a routine that feels good, it gives you so much structure and stability, which is something that I feel like naturally I lack as a person. And change, even if it's a good type of change, takes that stability away from me. It forces me to come up with new coping mechanisms and new habits and I have to recalibrate my wellness practices and it just makes me feel unstable. And when I feel unstable, sometimes that can even trigger an episode and that causes more instability and it's a vicious cycle. And I just wanted to acknowledge for a second how hard it is to know that good things are coming but you still have to make changes and sacrifices to get there and it's hard and it feels like it shouldn't be hard because if someone is holding this prize in front of you and they're like, all you have to do to get this really cool thing that you've wanted for your entire life is to change a few habits, you wouldn't think that that would be so difficult but for someone with a brain like mine, it's really hard and I know it's hard for a lot of you guys too. It's bittersweet and it's painful and I feel constantly swarmed with feelings of nostalgia and not regret, but wondering if my life would be different if I had taken different steps, wondering if what would happen if I had made different choices. And I can't stop the wondering. I let my mind run loose. Actually, let isn't the right word because I feel like I have no control over it, but my mind wanders constantly. It explores every different avenue you could think of, every possibility. I have wondered and wandered and come up with a fictitious scenario in my head for every single twist and turn in life that you can think of. And it's, I'm exhausted. I'm so tired of just thinking all the time. I feel like I never, ever, ever stop thinking at the speed of light. The only time I'm not thinking is when I'm falling asleep, but even then it follows me into my dreams and my dreams are twisted and bizarre because I just can't make my mind slow down. I mean, I can with the help of like weed, but anything outside of that, I just can't make my mind slow down. And I just wanted to say to anyone out there who might be listening to this and might be able to relate to that feeling, 
I don't have a damn clue what we're going to do about it, but I know that we are not in it alone. We are in it together. And with that, I am going to sign off, probably stay in this bed for the next hour or two, and really think about the choices that I'm making in my life right now. I love you guys, and I will talk to you next week, if you're still here. Okay, bye! Bye!